0: Welcome to the Third Culture Kid virtual online forum where our conversations of TCK and faith come together. This is a place for people to share their own stories and learn from others. It is a place people can safely explore the effects, benefits, and purpose with cross-cultural upbringings. We also want to challenge TCKs and TCKs to think deeper on their cross-cultural component of their lives as tied to their faith. This podcast is brought to you by Crew, a caring community passionate about connecting people to Jesus Christ. Today in our podcast, we'll be talking about faith and sexuality. We will be interviewing Greg Coles. His first book, Single Gay Christian, tells the story of his own journey through questions of faith and sexual identity. His second book, scheduled to release to come this coming February, draws heavily from his TCK experience and is called No Longer Strangers. Finding belonging in a world of alienation. I want to first ask you to introduce yourself a little bit more and just talk about what makes yourself a TCK.
1: Yeah, so my name is Greg. I'm glad to be here with you guys today. And I grew up in Indonesia on the island of Java in the city of Bandu. So Indonesia is the world's fourth most populous nation, and the island of Java has about half of that population in a space the size of North Carolina. So it's a cozy place to live. We crammed a lot of people into a small space. And I lived there from when I was three years old, uh, which is when my family moved there. My dad was an English teacher. And then I moved back to the United States for college. I did my undergraduate work at Roberts Wesleyan College in Rochester, New York, studying communication then I worked for a church for a year, then I went to graduate school and got a PhD in English, specifically in rhetorical theory, which is basically like the philosophy of how language works in Mm -hmm. the world. And since I finished up my PhD, I have been working for a church part-time these last few years, uh, leading the worship ministry. And with the rest of my time, I write and speak and freelance edit and do fun things of that variety.
0: Awesome, and I'll introduce myself really quick. I'm Elizabeth, and I am a TCK because I lived in the Philippines from ages 2 to 11. My parents did mission work there. Okay, so the first question I'm going to ask is how has your faith become more complicated over time growing up?
1: Uh, More complicated. I think the story probably begins in puberty, which is a splendid time at Mm -hmm. which to begin any story. And uh, when I started going through puberty, I grew up in the church, which means I grew up going to youth group. And occasionally in youth group, they would split up the boys and the girls, which invariably meant that we were going to talk about Mm -hmm. sex. And what they would tell the boys when they gathered us all together, they would be like, look, boys, we know what you're going through. You want to look at pictures of naked women, but don't do it. And I was like, okay, no looking at pictures of naked women and discovered that I was remarkably good at not looking at pictures of naked women. In fact, I was so good at it that I started to feel like the holiest 12-year-old in the world because I was like, there's this way in which all the other boys' relationship with Jesus has suddenly gotten very complicated. But I think I've been spared from that complexity because I love Jesus so much. (laughs) It took me a little while, maybe just because I'm slow about these things. But it took me a little while to realize that I did in fact have an experience of sexuality. It just wasn't the one that I had been sort of Mm -hmm. trained and braced to expect by the community around me. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly I went from feeling like the holiest 12 year old in the world to feeling like the worst possible 12 year old in the world. The one who was so awful that nobody had even bothered to warn me that somebody like me might exist. This was when faith began to take a more complicated turn for me. I knew at the time of sort of two prominent narratives for someone who was in my position, who was attracted to the same sex and was seeking to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And those two narratives were the gay affirming narrative and the ex gay narrative. Mm -hmm. Now, the ex gay narrative was the narrative that was more familiar in my community by far. Mm -hmm. And this was the narrative that said, look, If you're attracted to the same sex, what you need to do is figure out what has gone wrong in your upbringing that has made you gay. You know, maybe you Mm -hmm. had a distant father and an overbearing mother, they would say. You need to fix those problems and you need to pray for healing. And ultimately, as you draw closer to Jesus, as you fix the problems in your life, you will become straight. And that will be the story of your success. Now, when I looked at my own life, there were a few ways in which that narrative didn't quite seem to fit. For one mm-hmm. thing, my parents are delightful. Uh, I wish you could meet them. My, my father is not at all distant and my mother not at all overbearing. So that part of the story didn't quite seem to fit mm-hmm. in my life. But I figured, you know, praying I can do, getting closer to Jesus I can do. And mm-hmm. so that's what I did for a number of years. I just prayed and wished and hoped and waited to become straight, to become the thing that I thought I needed to be in mm-hmm. order to follow Jesus. And I tried to measure the progression of how close I was to God based on how straight I felt at any Mm -hmm. given time, which led me to do some slightly silly things uh, like this one time. And this, by the way, is not a recommendation. This is not like a how to. But I was like 13. So cut me a break. There was this one time that I remember I saw this picture of a scantily clad woman and I was like, you know, I've heard that, like, if I love Jesus more, I would be straight. And if I were straight, I would like feel things about this picture. So I took this picture of a scantily clad woman and I'm like trying to lust after the picture, like trying to conjure up something. Cause I was like, I'm going for it. Um, and it, you know, for all the good it did, I might as well have been staring at like an office supplies poster, but that was the narrative that I was trying to make fit. My own life was this story that said, if I love Jesus well enough, mm-hmm. I will become straight enough to please him. Eventually. I lived that narrative long enough that I started to realize, you know, I am indeed growing in my faith. I am indeed falling more deeply in love with Jesus, but it's not making me any straighter. I'm not <laughs> any more likely to be attracted to a woman than I, than I was when I was 12 years old. So then I began to wrestle with the other narrative that I knew existed. And this was the, the gay affirming narrative that said, if you're gay and you want to follow Jesus, you just need to revisit the biblical texts Mm -hmm. and you'll conclude that actually the Bible does leave space for a follower of Jesus to pursue a loving, monogamous, same-sex relationship. And as I dug into that narrative and tried to explore the Bible for myself, Mm -hmm. well, for one thing, I'm really glad that I took the trouble of doing that investigation for myself. I think it's really important when we reach those crisis moments in our faith for us to dig into the Bible for ourselves and to say, I need to see what's actually in here. Is is this stuff really the stuff that I've been told the Bible says? When I dug into that conversation, I found that it was complicated, that it was a lot more complicated than some of the well-meaning people in my life had made it seem when they were just like, yeah, flip open the Bible in your English translation, find the word homosexuality in there somewhere. It's bad. Case closed, moving on to something more complicated and pressing Mm -hmm. like the Calvinist-Armenian debate. It was complicated, but I also concluded that even though it was complicated, there was still a best answer to that question, and that that best answer called somebody who was in my shoes, somebody who was exclusively attracted to the same sex and seeking to follow Jesus, that I was called to be single and celibate. And so that's where I've been ever since, living sort of awkwardly between these two other narratives and trying to figure out what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus as somebody who who continues to be single, who continues to be exclusively attracted to the same sex, and yet continues to have the opportunity to love Jesus in the midst Mm -hmm. of that. It's not quite the normal narrative of the sort that I grew up with. Um, But maybe in a way that's kind of a fitting metaphor for my Mm -hmm. life, that I'm a bit between some of the more common narratives, uh, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what it looks like to live faithfully in the middle space.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. Do you think that jumping vastly different cultures created complexity in understanding your sexuality growing up? In what ways and how did you navigate that?
1: I think in a lot of ways, growing up, crossing cultural boundaries actually turned out to be an enormous gift for somebody like me because it meant that I saw the stereotypes of gender, the stereotypes of masculinity, particularly Mm -hmm. In different cultures and was able to recognize that those things differed from culture to culture, that there wasn't a single monolithic way Mm -hmm. of being masculine, of being a man. And so because I think if I had grown up in a single culture, I might have looked at their version of masculinity and said, wow, I am really, really bad at being the sort of person I am supposed to be according Mm -hmm. to the rules of this society but because I was in two societies and I could be like, well, I'm sort of bad at both of these versions of masculinity, but these versions of masculinity are also bad by each other's definitions of masculinity. So maybe there's a sense in which relying on a stereotype of how we're supposed to be as a certain gender, is it really a good way of determining how we're supposed to live as God has created us to live? And so I think for me, there was actually an incredible freedom in that that i could recognize hey i get to follow jesus and to the degree that that happens to align with the stereotypes of the culture that i'm in that's great but to the degree i'm kind of a misfit that's fine they'll just assume that i you know when i act weird in america they'll assume it's because i'm acting indonesian when i act <laughs> weird in indonesia they'll assume it's cuz i'm american and nobody'll notice the difference so in that sense it was i think kind of a gift to recognize mm-hmm. like Hey, the rules of these societies are different. Mm-hmm. And that means that I'm not required to follow either mm-hmm.
0: rule. So you maybe were able to understand yourself for who you really were and not for what the culture told you you were supposed to be.
1: Yeah, I think there's an enormous freedom in getting to ask the question, how do I feel like God has actually designed me to be without getting too hung up on the question of, what are the people around me telling me and what is the culture around me telling me I must be? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So the next question that I have is how has your relationship with your family changed over time? And maybe you could even share a little part of your story about how you maybe told your parents that you were same-sex attracted.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I'll give you a little sidebar on terminology first. So there are sort of two sets of terms that people tend to use when they talk about the experience of being attracted to the same sex. Some people will use the term same sex attracted and prefer that over LGBTQ language. I actually prefer the term gay for myself. I don't Mm -hmm. prefer to identify as same sex attracted. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. It launches a long conversation that I won't trail us off into right now. But I will say, if you're interested in that conversation, in why some people prefer the term same-sex attracted and other people Mm -hmm. prefer terms like gay, there's a dialogue that I've done online with one of Crew's own. Her name is Rachel Gilson. Mm -hmm. Uh, She and I did a blog dialogue for an organization called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, talking about how we think differently on that question of terminology, and also the much more important ways in which we agree. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that, maybe I can get Elizabeth the link to that. They can put it in the show notes or something. I think if you Google Greg Cole's Rachel Gilson, the first thing you'll find is Rachel's like somewhat critical review of my book. But the second thing you'll find is that dialogue that we had with each other. So anyway, I would commend that to you. So, uh, but back to the question at hand, getting ourselves back on track here. As far as my relationship with my parents, so for a bit of context here, I came out to my parents when I was 25, which is much later than I could have come out to them. I mean, again, my parents are delightful people. Had I come out to them much earlier, they would have gladly walked with me along the journey prior. But for a number of reasons, one of them that I'm the sort of person who once other people are involved in a conversation with me, it's very hard for me to figure out what I actually believe because I get so busy trying to make everyone else happy. And so I was scared for myself that if I invited my parents into the conversation before I actually knew what I believed, then I would just end up. Not paying attention to my own pursuit of the truth and just be like, well, this is what my parents want me to think. So I'm a go for it. I know, I think for other people, the circumstance is exactly the opposite. Inviting their parents into that conversation would be really, really helpful. But for me, I decided I'm just going to get really geeky in the conversation by myself. And Mm -hmm. then I'm going to work out what I think Jesus is calling me to. And then once I have some sense of that, then, you know, then I'll talk to them about it. So I was 25. Once I had finally done my homework and felt like, you know what, I feel settled in this, but this also feels like a significant enough part of my life that I want to sort of invite my parents into it. And at the time, they were living in Indonesia, I was living in America, you know, our time in person together was somewhat limited, and I didn't want to wait for one thing for them to get back to the States again. And once they got back, I was like, I sort of don't want to waste our time together on like me coming out to them, like when we could do that some other time. So I gave them a phone call, which is technically bad coming out etiquette. So like if you're listening to this podcast right now and you have a similar experience of sexuality and you're like, how should I tell my parents? I'm not necessarily recommending the phone call approach to you, but it worked great for me. So I called my parents. We had a great conversation. I took them on a walk and walked for like six miles around my neighborhood. I drank my way through two liters of water. Uh, I drank so much water that partway through the conversation. I really, really had to pee and I was walking by my church building. And so I was like, hey, mom and dad, uh, I really want to continue this conversation with you. So I'm going to call you back. So, you know, but it was, it was great. And one of the things that made that conversation great was that my parents were so, so willing to to listen and just to seek to understand what I was saying and how I was seeing the world. They didn't immediately jump to saying, well, we clearly have all the answers for you. So let us lavish you with answers. Um, Instead, they just asked really good, genuine questions, right, not leading questions, not how dare you keep this from us, but really good, genuine questions, wanting to understand Mm -hmm. um, my experience. I distinctly remember my dad asking me the question, when you used to say that you had crushes on girls, what did that mean? Which was a brilliant question because what he was not doing was saying, Greg, I know that you can't be gay because you used to have crushes on girls and you told me about it. He was just asking a good understanding question, like, hey, I remember you saying this. That doesn't quite square with what you're saying to me now. And that opened up a good opportunity for me to explain, okay, when I used to say I had crushes on girls, what I basically meant was, if I had to pick one of my platonic friendships that seems really good and like I would enjoy sharing apartments with them for the rest of my life, I would pick this one. So we had great conversation. My parents have been really terrific uh, since my coming out, which is sadly not terribly common experience for most of my gay and same-sex attracted friends. Their relationship with their parents has not just sort of continued on beautifully in the same way since they came out. But I think for me, by the grace of God and the kindness of my parents, if anything, coming out has just made our relationship better, because it's one more way in which I get to be really, really open with them. It's one more way in which they can kind of know me fully and respond to me in that way. I no longer have to make up excuses for certain aspects of my life. Before I came out, when I would explain my singleness, I would just tell my family in a sort of vague fashion. I would be like, I feel like the Lord is calling me to singleness. And that may change at any time. You never know." And, you know, and my family would largely be like, oh, we think you'll probably get married. You seem like the sort of person who will probably get married. Since I've come out, I've been able to explain, like, a part of the reason I feel called to singleness has to do with the fact that I don't particularly experience any desire to enter into a male-female relationship, which, as I understand Jesus, is the kind of relationship that I would be invited into. Mm -hmm. Now that they understand that, they're able to sort of be even more on the same page with me as I think through things like, Mm -hmm. what is my life going to look like in the future?
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. So thanks for sharing all that. The final question I have is, how do you find a sense of belonging in your everyday Christian walk when there's so much tension around sexuality and cultures these days in the world, especially in the United States? that could lead you to a place of feeling in between. Because as you know, like as a third culture kid, like we already have this mix of feeling in between.
1: I think one of the things that's been helpful for me as I wrestle with my own sense of belonging or lack thereof is to realize that the way Jesus is calling me to belong and the way Mm -hmm. that I am designed to belong isn't necessarily going to look like the narratives of belonging that I hear or see in the world Mm -hmm. around me. That I am not necessarily destined for the iconic wife and 2.3 children and picket fence, that I probably won't live a perfect image of the American dream, And maybe that wouldn't be a good thing, even if I could live an American dream, maybe that's not actually what it looks like to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. One of the really cool things about the way Jesus talks about belonging is that he's very, very open with the people who choose to follow him. He's very open about saying, your life, your belonging is not going to look like you thought it could have otherwise. Mm -hmm that there's one guy who says, Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus very encouraging recruitment speech is like, Hey, look, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to put his head. So make sure you're in for that. And similarly, uh, there's a moment where Peter says to Jesus, and this is one of my favorite moments in all the gospels. There's a moment where Peter says to Jesus, "Uh, Jesus, we, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus replies, truly, I tell you, there's no one who has left home or fathers or mothers or sisters or brothers or wives or children or fields who will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And one of the things I love about that moment in scripture is that Jesus doesn't deny that there's something given up in following him. Right, he doesn't say to Peter, like, look, you idiot, you didn't give up a thing. Now quit whining and go stand <laughs> over by Thaddeus. Jesus acknowledges, like, yeah, you left things. Yes, you mm-hmm. left home and fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and wives and children and fields.
0: You did yeah. leave
1: all those things. Like, there were ways that you thought you were going to belong that you do not belong. And yet, what Jesus promises instead is something so much better, right? He says, you'll receive a hundredfold all the very things that you mm-hmm. thought you lost. That there's a kind of belonging that Jesus wants to give us Mm -hmm. that is counterintuitively found in the midst of our obedience to him, even as we turn away from the most obvious narratives for our belonging, for our own sense
0: of happiness. That there's a
1: kind of flourishing that Jesus wants to give us that's actually so much better than any flourishing that we could conjure up for Mm -hmm. ourselves.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you have heard of him. I don't know if all of our listeners have, but Sam Albury, who is a pastor that also is same-sex attracted or however you want to phrase that. And one of the things he said is he's like, I've had people tell me before, oh my gosh, you've had to give up so much to follow Christ. And he's like, literally what I tell them is if there's nothing that you've had to sacrifice to follow Christ, you need to check your heart because we all have stuff we need to sacrifice. And when he said that, that was super challenging to me. Yeah. Like Sometimes I think that with different struggles, I'm like, wow, you've had to give up so much. But I myself am called to give up things. It may look different depending on, but I don't need to compare myself because everyone is called to give up stuff to follow Christ. But that yeah, is
1: a good word, a good word from Sam, a good word from yeah. Elizabeth.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love hearing him speak. I've heard him speak several different times and read his book. But anyways, that's a side note. Yeah, so those are all the questions I have. Thank you so much for participating and letting us interview you. Thank you to all our listeners for joining. TCKVOF is now on 10 podcast platforms. And if you want to stay connected to us and ask us a question or have a topic idea you would like us to discuss in the future, you can click on the message button on Anchor, which is one of the platforms we have available, to leave us a voice message. Thank you again for listening to the TCK VOF, where our conversations of TCK and faith come together. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week.